Yeah, it's time for our Monday's Experts Chat on Naturally this Monday. And last week we had a great chat with Barbara Joseph. Today we're going to chat with a trainer from Kembla Grange. And of course the eyes of New South Wales Racing will be on Kembla this Saturday with the running of the gong. We thought, what a wonderful opportunity for us to chat with Kerry Parker, a name that we've been seeing pop up in the form, guys. We saw it there in the winter stall again on Saturday with tampering, and Kerry joins us now on the line. G'day, mate. Good morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, very good. Wonderful to chat with you, mate. Uh, on this Monday's Experts uh, segment, it's an opportunity for us to have a bit of a yarn to you as well about some things that we generally probably won't wouldn't talk about normally when we'd speak to you and we're looking at you know runners for the week, uh, what you're doing with superstars like Think It Over, etc. But I want to take it right back to the start. Where did you grow up and, and have you always lived around that South Coast area? Pretty much. I uh, spent a lot of my youth at... Um down in uh, Kangaroo Valley, Nara, uh, also uh, uh, around the Malabar Maroubra area in uh, in Sydney. My father was a uh, a, um, a warden at Long Bay Jail, so and he also owned a, a property at Nara and Kangaroo Valley. So he sort of done a bit of each, really, a, a bit of swapping around in, in my school days. Okay, so you're doing that in school, and then when did it? When did you get into the racing game? Uh, did that start later, or did it start early? Oh, no, pretty early. Uh, as I said, my father had a property down uh, just out of Kangaroo Valley, a place called Bajong, and him and another farmer there decided to sort of uh, put a riding school, a trail riding school in. So that was really my first introduction, just as I was probably only about 10, you know, uh, to horses, uh, was that I couldn't wait to sort of get down there on the weekends and help out at the riding school. Uh, and then from there, I think I was, uh, I don't think I was really 15 yet. I might have been just before I was 15, I... I started at uh, Canterbury with uh, Errol Amos. That, how did that come about, starting there at Canterbury? Was that something that you'd sort of had the discussion with the, with the family that you wanted to go into the racing game, or was it was it a difficult conversation to have? Uh, not really. I uh, oh, can't say I was real good at school. and pretty much failed plasticine at school, so <laughs> I was quite happy to get out of there. And uh, I think the Christmas holidays, I'm a, I'm a December foal, so I was close to 15, and... Uh, I sort of bailed out at uh, the end of year eight and uh, I was only small and thought I'd put my sights on being a jockey and uh, there was a connection there to Errol Amos, so um, I, I started off there. So you started off at Canterbury. Was that a real culture shock for you to, to, to sort of leave the family, get up to Canterbury and into a new different world? Yeah, uh, it was that I adapted to pretty quick. It was it made easy with Errol. Uh, I lived with him and his wife and... Uh, you know, they looked after me like a son anyway, and uh, uh, the guys who were working with me, and he had a, a small team of horses, you know, he, he probably had up to 12, you know, uh, uh, but it was a good starting point. I, I sort of learned to ride race horses around that thick and oval there, uh, so that was all, all, all part of the learning curve, and away you went. And, and then, and what about key moments in that early days that sort of have, you think have set you up for now? Oh, things like that. I think I'll never forget that. I think the first horse I ever strapped for Errol uh, was down here at Kembla Grange and it won. And I, I was just blown away by the whole thing. You know, it was the first time I'd ever gone to the races, let alone take a horse to the races. And uh, to watch it win and, you know, uh, I'm sure the old boss had a, had a punt on it. He was smiling from ear to ear. Um, <laughs> so they were, they were pretty pretty astute little stable when he had a bet. And uh, that, that sort of, I suppose, that just that, that puts the twinkling in there and away you go. I went back and had a look at some of your um, other interviews you've done in the past about, you know, the, your training career thus far, and you, you're quite, 
a hands-on uh, trainer. You've got that that horseman tag about you, um, and and you love getting these horses too that maybe others don't want to get or don't don't have a, a shining to. You you want to you want to work on them and and develop them. Yeah, I, I well, you enjoy the, the challenge with every horse. You know, um, you don't like getting the silly ones, but of course you you just take what's given to you. You know, and uh, uh, you you work on them. But yeah, I, I think that's part and parcel. I love. Um, and, you know, I I love watching them. Like, as I'm talking to you now, I'm sitting in the middle of my stables, you know. Uh, and uh, I love watching them at work, at rest. You know, I, I like to... Uh, you, you read so much about them. Mm. What's it about the horse? Uh, you know, you, they're, they're, quite, they're quite intelligent animals, aren't they? Well, some of them are. Yeah, <laughs> some of them are. You're putting it a bit closer. <laughs> uh, yeah, some of them switch on and work it out pretty quick, and others you've really got to work on to try and get the penny to drop about you know where they want to go, and uh, you've got to try and guide them in the right direction all the time. Uh, to put it, I think they're probably like three or four year old kids. You know, like you get some that are real switched on, some that are cheeky. You know, some that you, know, you want to sulk a bit in the corner and. You know, you've just got to guide each each one. Like I, I treat them all individually, and uh, and just work uh, on what I think works best for that horse. So, you young man, uh, you 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 you're obviously learning your craft there at Canterbury under the guidance of a, a very well respected man. What's the natural progression? At what point did you sort of go right? I'm I'm going to continue on my training career. Like, how, how did that all unfold? Uh, I think uh, just uh, an opportunity to come up there uh, to go to um, Les Bridge. Well, actually, from LA, I ended up back down the coast. I uh, spent a, time, a bit of time down down the coast with a, an old trainer down there, Sidney Barker. Uh, he was at Nowra. He sort of trained out of the trotting track there. Um, so I think uh, the family might have got me back, and uh, that's as close as I could get to was, uh, was there. And I learned a lot there at Sid. Uh, I was there for probably just over a year or something, and then an opportunity to come back to go to Sydney to go to Ramwick to Les Bridges was looking for somebody, and uh, uh, I went there. And uh, I think that's where it all started to sort of take those next steps, you know. Uh, mm. Until then, you're just a job. You're just a boy. You're doing what you're doing. You're enjoying, you know, uh, working. It was a lot better than being at school. But I think at Les Bridges, uh, that was where I started to learn a real lot from there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I love having Les on the program, having a chat to him, and he's obviously been he's been quite well showcased with that good horse of his, um, with the Tab Everest, etc. But what were some of the things that Les taught you? Well, it was more so you had to watch with Les. You know, I, I, I watched, uh, which has always been in my nature. I sort of watch and learn. Uh, I think that's probably coming up a little bit on the farm and stuff. You you're watching animals and people all the time, you know, and uh, uh, you just sort of learn from him, from his craft. And uh, I think from there, actually, what really taught me was uh, track work. Uh, I rode a lot of horses work there and um, really got going in my in my track work and really learned to be quite a good judge there, you know. Um, that was where I started to, to really feel myself improve, was, was riding them. Mm. Where did you end up back down at Kimbler? Uh, well, I strapped um, Drawn and that at Les Bridges, and when he retired... I uh, was um, my mate Dave, well, Dave Van Dyke now. He'd started training down here at Kembla and was struggling with um, with riders uh, being new new to down here and there wasn't many yep. people around. And I probably had enough of Sydney and was looking for a little exit and uh, come down. I said, I'll come down and help you out for three months. And 
I think that was 30 years ago or something I came down to do that. Wow. But that would have must have been nice to then sort of get back down south where I know you obviously said you were jumping between as a youngster um, up here in you know, Maroubra and, and down south. But to, to get back to Kembla, that obviously was a big, uh, was it a, a, a big party decision to sort of, you know, the quietest lifestyle? Oh, no doubt at all. I think uh, I'd settled right into here really quick, you know, um, quite happy with um, uh, the, the lifestyle here uh, on the leisure coast, as it's known. Um, <laughs> but it's just, uh, you know, you're not far from the city. Wollongong's a big enough city as it is, you know. Um, it's a great lifestyle, way of life, no doubt, uh, rather than the hustle and bustle of Sydney. Uh, yeah, I think that's what keeps uh, kept me here. Now, what about in terms of training in your own name? When did that? When did you officially start training in your own name? Uh, started, I think it was about probably midway through '92. I think I sort of started training on my right on my own. Got my trainer's license. Yeah. When I got my trainer's license, then I had to go find a horse <laughs> to train, of course. Uh, and I was given a, a trotting bloke that had uh, had invested in a thoroughbred or something and had nowhere to send it, and found me and sent it to me, and and that was the first horse I had. I think he. Uh, he probably only had uh, five or six starts and run a couple of fourth. But uh, from there, somebody else noticed and gave me one, and you know, you just sort of start to build. What was your first winner? Uh, a little mare called Federol. Uh, she was owned locally down here, and I think um, she was a five-year-old mare, and I think I was the fourth or fifth trainer to have her. And really? she broke a maiden. Yeah, and she broke a maiden here at Kembla, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I, that that feeling made me go. Now I'm a trainer. And what was it about her that you were you would did you do anything different with her? Uh, not that I knew really what anyone else was. I was only learning and doing what I what I thought. You know, uh, uh, I suppose I might have just got into the right sort of race. So I uh, I did have a stint in Adelaide there for a little while. I was in uh, Adelaide writing work. Um, just roaming around sort of between jobs and ended up in Melbourne and then Adelaide for a little while. And, of course, I rode work out there. And the first day I went out on the track, I went out in a Canterbury Bulldogs football jumper. And uh, Justin Sheehan was, you know what he's like, he's full on. He's, yep. who are you and what's going on? Um, so I got good mates with him over there. And it was actually Justin Sheehan's first winner in New South Wales, uh, my my first winner. Fantastic. Mate, I'll take you back to, let's take back to 1994. Uh, the Group 2, AJC, St. Ledger, Gold Sovereign. What was it like that day uh, with Gold oh, Sovereign? That was brilliant. Um, like, uh, to get him, I, uh, I think he won his maiden at Nour, and I said, I'm going to nominate this bloke for the Sydney Cup, and everyone thought I was mad. I probably did too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, just, just to watch him uh, develop up and go through and... Uh, to win the St. Ledger, uh, that, that was just sensational to think, oh, geez, I've, I've got a Melbourne Cup runner now. You yeah. know, uh, I thought, how easy is this training? I'd only been training like two years and I'm heading to a Melbourne Cup. No, this is lovely. What, what made you throw him in the deep end like that? Uh, just, I just knew he'd run all day. You know, he, he was he was tough. Like nowadays, he'd be a class two Kembla 2000 metre horse. <laughs> but he yeah. was, he was a little bit brain dead. He was, he was actually trained in Sydney before I got him and, uh, he wasn't making the mark there, and so I think they sort of sent him down to me to give me a hope with him. Uh, a mate of mine owned him, who was a strapper at Les Bridges with me. Uh, Darren Schiffman owned him, uh, and he said, "Oh, here, you want to try this horse? He's not he's not going much good." And uh, yeah, he went from there and just sort of started to put it together and won a few races. And 
we work him out a bit that he, he's sort of better off just going straight to the front and bowling along. And, um, yeah, uh, probably I think uh, the, the, the Sydney Cup run, which was a week before the St. Ledger then, uh, he backed up into the St. Ledger after that. Uh, like he'd finished fourth in that. He was probably beaten three quarters of a length or something. And uh, I remember I got stuffed around with jocks and he carried two kilos over more than he should have. And uh, I was uh, I was just gutted I'd missed out in the Sydney Cup. I thought that was a real big chance. Yeah, so, okay. So yeah. Then at least a week later to come back and to, uh, to win the St. Ledger, uh, you know, was, was something out of what I thought I'd missed. Well, what about then? Obviously, going down to the Melbourne Cup. Oh yeah, that was just <laughs> that was a ball. Like I say, uh, a mate of mine owned him, and um, we just rented a house down there. Well, he did. He rented a house down there, and I think I think he's the only horse in Melbourne that had five strappers. There was five or six of us <laughs> living in this house, and uh, yeah, we were just rotating beds. Everyone was waiting for me to get up to go to work, so they someone could have my bed. Um, but it was just, uh, it, it was an absolute ball. We were only young blokes and, and run amok and uh, just, just had a great venture. You know, uh, I remember on the Saturday, like I, I didn't want to run him on the Saturday. I think he'd run 50 in the Mooney Valley Cup or something and I knew I was coming to the end and I, I sort of didn't want to run him on the Saturday before the Cup but because Darren was a little bit of a, a Bart's fan and he said, oh, it's got to run on Saturday. You've got no hope in the Cup if you don't run on Saturday. And of course, then we ran on Saturday and he, he was always going to be a little flat, you know. And uh, I remember saying to, to Darren Schiffman, down to the owner, saying, I think it was like 10000 which is to pay up for the cup on the Saturday night, you know, uh, which yep. was a lot of money back then, and especially for us young blokes. I remember saying, mate, you're going to finish closer to the tail than you are the leader to come up with this 10000 to run in this Melbourne Cup. Uh, and he went away and thought about it for a while, and he said, mate, I'll earn 10000 in my life again. He said, I might never have a chance to have a runner in the Melbourne Cup. Let's run him. So running. That's running. <laughs> that's the peace of mind and the frame of mind we're in going into it. And, of course, we uh, we knew he'd lead, so we quickly grabbed hold of the uh, photographers from the Mercury, the local paper down here, and had him on the first lap and got some lovely photos of him going past the post first <laughs> in, in the Melbourne Cup. That's sensational. Um, yeah. Okay, so th- that was, what, 1994, and then obviously yeah. 10 years later, you've got uh, Don Raphael. Um, which obviously, you know, that now that was owned, wasn't it, by uh, the Story family? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Don Story. Uh, he actually rang me and he said, mate, I'm, I'm half embarrassed to even ask you. He said, got a horse here in Sydney. It's, it's, it's no good. It's going terrible. He said, have you got a box? Can you just keep him ticking over? Back then, he said, I've got him in the next tried sales, which wasn't for six weeks or something. He said, I don't want to send him to the paddock and... Back then, you weren't buying online. They had to go to the sales and people looked at them, you know. So he said, I wanted yeah. to keep him looking good. I don't want him to go out. So, so he came to me. I said, yeah, mate, I've got room. No worries at all. And I had a young apprentice here at the time. And uh, anyway, we got him and we were working him around. And I remember uh, Boxer Williams, who used to ride work with Teresa Batter, and I were working um, and we had this young apprentice in between us on Don Rafael. And uh, we sort of worked up and we, we sort of squeezed squeezed him up a bit. It was squeezing the apprentice up, you know. And all of a sudden, the horse found another gear oh, yeah. and took off. And I thought, oh, we might do that again on Saturday. And, of course, the two we were on, we couldn't get near this Don Rafael. He just kept running. We couldn't get near him. I thought, geez. So I rang Mr. Story. He said, you sell this bloke. I'll buy him. Like, you know, he's by Runyon. He wasn't much to look at. And he probably would have bought $400. I said, he goes all right. I said, can I trial him? 
I said, I've got an apprentice needs trial rides, you know. I said, can I, can I trial him? He said, yeah, yeah. So I sent him down to Goulburn and trialled him. And I thought, geez, he goes, all right. And I went, can I race him? And he went, oh, all right. So he sort of missed that sale and then away we went with him. And that, that was how he started. But, yeah, That's he, he came to me to keep, keep a box full. So oh, that that's that's unbelievable. So what was it? Just a change of scenery? Was it? Uh, yeah, I think what? he was. Uh, I think he was just sort of. Uh, he was just going about his business, not not putting a lot of effort into it. And uh, so, you know, he, he he's probably got a little older. Or, I don't know. He just he switched on, and I think it was when he was sort of uh, like I say, we're more so just teaching the apprentice to be riding tight, you know. Uh, and and I think that sort of switched the horse on. And then from there we went. Hang on, we've got a horse, and started, uh, you know, uh, shaping up. And from from there, uh, uh, I think he won his maiden in like it might have been no, it might have been December, and then he ran in the Melbourne Cup in November. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's ten years between drinks. So obviously, you know, that just shows you know you have that early success. You're having a ball as a youngster. Uh, you've got that original horse we were talking about, Gold Sovereign, and then 10 years go by. So it just shows, you know, this cycle of just, you know, things happening out of the blue and getting a good good opportunity in a horse. Yeah, oh, exactly right. You know, you've got to wait for him to come along. Like, before then, I did have uh, uh, a little mare that I'd bought um, uh, from the classic sales. I think I paid 22000 for a little Dr. Grace filly, um, a mare called Kirkstall Lane, a filly called Kirkstall Lane. Actually... Barbara Joseph was the underbidder on her. I remember that. <laughs> Talking to her last week. Um, well, she ended up, uh, she ran second in the Vinery and um, third in the uh, uh, the Adrian Knox. And then she never went a yard in the wet. And, of course, it rained uh, on Oaks Day. And that, that was the end of my chances in an Oaks. But she was my first test of, okay, now we're heading in the right direction with the horse, you know. Uh, then, unfortunately, next preparation, she'd come back. I think she won first up or something and then, uh, boat attendant, so we never got to. I never got to continue playing with her, and that was probably a couple of years before Don Rafael came along. Uh, and of course, going to Melbourne this time was not about partying and having a good time. I I was going down there with a horse that I thought was a, a genuine top ten finisher in a Melbourne Cup. You know, I was, I was yeah. pretty excited and uh, a lot more focused, and had learnt a lot in those ten years. And then, what about um, the career of Brilliant uh, Light, uh, who I wanted to mention because. Um, and I was reading this off off your website uh, yesterday uh, that you know you've tied tied him in, in similar in, in a way of that you had obviously Don Rafael which came to you and he just needed a bit of a spark up and you gave him that spark up and he's you know he 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 started to put in so to speak whereas yeah. Brilliant Light was on the other end of the spectrum where you picked this uh, particular horse out on type and you just had drama after drama and you had to just nurture nurture that maturity through. Yeah, and he was always sort of a light. He, he looked more like a filly than, than a gelding or a colt or a gelding. You know, he was always a light frame horse that just was always going to take a little while. Um, but I always uh, like to ride him. He, he was one of them intelligent ones. He was one of the most intelligent horses I'd ridden. You know, I loved riding him work. He was, he just gave me a really good feel and he, he'd listen to what you wanted. And, uh, uh, it was just a matter of him getting stronger, really. And, and that was, uh, you know, I, I kept sort of, I've always had a good opinion of him to the owners. Um, and, and we'd always just, I said, mate, he's coming, he's coming, he'll get there. Next preparation, he'll get there. You know, whatever we get this prep, next prep will be better. And, and we just had little nigglies with him, but, <clears throat> which was no one's really fault. It was just one of those things with him maturing. Uh, and then as he started to put it all together, well, then he had that terrific preparation 
where he went through and, uh, you know, it was an unlucky third in the uh, in the Doncaster where he, he was caught wide all the way from a very ordinary barrier and, uh, you know, um, just had a terrific preparation with him. Let's uh, keep fast-forwarding to Queensland, mate. That derby in 2018, you had a horse called uh, Dark Dream to take it through what a maiden at Maruya to a Group 1 in a single preparation. Um what was it like that day you won the Group 1? You must have been emotional. Oh, that, that, that was terrific because uh, by then uh, my son Aaron had sort of really joined the stables. Like The boys had always sort of been around uh, and done a little bit of work here and there, but Aaron had come sort of full-time and he'd, uh, the plan was, you know, he'd, he'd been up there eight eight weeks or something getting this horse ready for that derby. So to share it with him and that was just uh, unbelievable. And to get that Group 1, you know, I'd... Uh, I'd had a few placings in Group 1s, and they're so hard to win, you know. Uh, to get that, I was just a relieved man after he finally won that. But uh, to take him from his ride to Mar- from Maruya, you know, we sort of took him down there, and uh, he-, he won his maiden, and then I think it was his next start at Kembla. And and that was when I thought, oh, hello, we've got a proper horse here, you know. I thought uh, that's that was when I started mapping out a plan for a derby was after that second run at Kembla, and I thought, oh, I think he's pretty good, this bloke. And, you know, to, to go along that and uh, to, to end up getting that result in, in Queensland was, yeah, that was sensational. That was sensational. And then fast forward to now, and, you know, you pick up uh, in another Group 1 success. What was it, uh, March, early this year, when the uh, Think It Over burst through in that George Ryder? Yeah, yeah, that was terrific. Like, I'd sort of... But the George Ryder was never on the map, as in I wasn't going to run in that George Ryder at the start of that program. But um, then when the Golden Slipper Day got washed out and everything got put back a week, it was the perfect option for him. Uh, and it's just funny how things plan out, isn't it? You know, like um, all of a sudden I was going to be three weeks between runs and said, no, this horse is thriving and needs another run. I'll have to run in the George Ryder. And I remember standing there when he won it. Uh, I was standing there by myself and watched it, and I just thought it to myself and went, Holy shit, he's done it! You know, <laughs> yeah, it was that, that was why I just went, oh, he's done it. <laughs> just uh, yeah, I was brilliant, you know. Um, but uh, no, absolutely thrilled, and uh, you know, thrilled not to just be a one-horse wonder, so to speak. Um, you know, it's, it's always good when you can back it up with another one, uh, especially after um, you know. Uh, I was so looking forward to getting Dark Dream back as a, as a four-year-old. I didn't think I'd reached the top of him yet. And, of course, he went to yeah. Hong Kong. So uh, for this bloke to walk into the barn so close afterwards and to get that was, uh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that is brilliant, mate. And, look, obviously, Bossy rode him there back to that George Ryder, but now he's got an affiliation, really, with Nash. I mean, do you do you believe in that, that, you know, that, that there is that... It seems just like he's got a knack uh, with Nash at the moment, and uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure they, they love each other. Yeah, no doubt at all. I think he, it's the same with horses when they're... You know, when you you like, I'm not riding work anymore. But um, to to watch your work riders, you've got to pick you know, who who works best for the horse. You know, uh, and I think that's a lot the same. And you've got you know, a lot of not so much push button. You know, uh, little quirky horses and things like that. Not that he is anymore, but he seems to uh, Nash and him. I think they both have the same determination. You know, like. The horse has got a great will to win, and and so does Nash. You know, uh, together they they they're just beautiful. Uh, but um, but Bossy helped him become that racehorse. He was helping him through them race races earlier, 
uh, he, and he's, he was still learning and doing things wrong. Um, and I think Bossy sort of helped him get to there and then Nash has pol- put, put that polish on him for, for winning. What about the fact that on Saturday we've got a million-dollar race at Kimberley Grange? Can you still believe it? Oh, no, that's just uh, it's incredible what racing New South Wales has done there, you know, like uh, to have this carnival still on, like even uh, going back to uh, think it over, like uh, after the Epson and Metropolitan sort of weekend, you were, we were out of play in Sydney. You know, we were, yeah. we were back to nothing. Uh, to think that the carnival's still going and yet we've got another big race meeting, you know, let alone here in your backyard at, at Kembla here on Saturday. I, I think it's just, uh, oh, there's no words to describe how this carnival's like being at Newcastle last Saturday. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's great for the city. Yeah, you won't have a runner in the uh, the big one this year, I could see on the noms, but... It's on the radar now, and it must be something, too, when you're attracting new owners to the stable. Oh, no doubt at all. Well, it's just uh, like, a, you know, just a, I think, it's, like I say, it's just, just great for the whole area, really, you know, like, uh, especially now we're coming back out of COVID, you know, um, you, you can get people to the to, to Wollongong for the weekend. They can come from anywhere. It's a, it's a great, uh, just a whole great weekend getaway, you know, like with the with the proper 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 horses and proper meeting being held here. Uh, it's just great promotion for the area as well. Are you going to back um, tampering up? Uh, I'll just see how he comes through. He seems to have pulled up well, but it, uh, yeah. it's an option. That's exciting, mate. He's, he's been a horse that uh, you obviously got him into the, the four pillars. I mean, there's another race, 700,000, uh, yeah. where he ran fifth. And, you know, he wasn't disgraced at all there. No, no, I think what, what sort of brought him undone there, the, the track was a bit firm for him. He just wanted to get on one rein a little bit, and uh, he's, he'd done that before in a, in a trial, you know, and uh, uh, just I think when he, he just feels that ground when it's a bit hard, and uh, Rose Hill that day was pretty firm, and it just sort of took a while to sort of come to the outside of those horses. He was wanting to lay in. I think if, uh, uh, if Jimmy had let him roll back to the fence sort of straight away, he... Uh, he probably blocks the winner coming through, and he, and he definitely runs a place. Like the horse had gone yeah. terrific, and then, uh, and then of course everything just went right for Hugh there on uh, on Saturday. That was uh, that that was just beautiful to to, to win another midway. There, there another thing with racing, you know, like this horse before this prep had uh, sort of struggled in that city class where, you know, he's running sort of fourth and fifth and running very competitive. But um, you, you take out them top few trainers, and uh, all of a sudden there's. Uh, those, those midways, they are actually, they're, they're winnable, you know, and uh, yeah. he's proven it. He's just been the perfect sort of horse for those midway races. Well, he's picked up, what, 46,400 twice now, so what's that? Just a tick over 90 yeah, um, uh, in some of his races. A terrific result, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for a, exactly For right. a benchmark 70 horse or whatever he's going to end up now, he'll probably be a 72 or something like that uh, after winning on Saturday. So, you know, um, uh, that, that's terrific to think you can be placing a horse through those races, and, and as you say, even the four pillars. Yeah, exactly right. Kerry, um, you've had a, a, a wild ride. It's been um, a beauty, really, considering where you started and now where you are, and it's not finished yet. What will we say about uh, Kerry Parker in the next 10 years? Have you got uh, – what are your goals? Because you're ticking a few boxes, especially over the last couple of years. Well, I've never been one that's wanted to be a, a, a huge numbers trainer, you know, um, uh, but I'd definitely love to have a few more uh, think-it-overs and a bit of quality in the in the barn, uh, I think, like most trainers, you know. Uh, you, you, if you can keep it to a nice 
nice size where you can keep an eye on things and uh, know know what's happening everywhere. Uh, I think that'd be ideal just to have that better quality horse in the barn. And uh, you know, if you like this, um, this has just been a sensational run this spring. You know, uh, there's no doubt. Like it started off terrible with the, with the passing of Deanne, of course, and. You know, I think we've probably cheated a bit this uh, this this spring. We've we've probably had her up there helping us. I think. Uh, you know, it's it's been a wonderful spring, and it was uh, pretty hard at times. And uh, to come out of it with the results we've had this this spring has just been. Uh, oh, it's just no words sum it up. You know, it's just been a wonderful ride. That's for sure. Well, it's not over yet, mate. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, it's very timely, the fact that we've got Kembla Grange's uh, biggest race day on this Saturday and uh, you'll be represented there with the stable. Hopefully that horse can back up and who knows, you might get the chocolates again, mate. And uh, good luck with Think It Over too in seasons to come. It's, uh, it's great to always see your name up in lights. Uh, lovely, Dave. Great talking to you, mate.